The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. David, this episode is not so much about spying necessarily, but about assassination ops. Yeah, but there's no shortage of trade calf going on here. 1990 in France. There's still a few hints of the hairspray-centric 80s here, but nothing really glaring. If you really want to go dark on your ops, you need a sleeper agent. Untraceable. I really think hospital work is such a great cover. Yeah, you know, weird hours, and it's not like anyone can just show up at a hospital and ask to see you. What's a cleaner, David? That's the motherfucker you send in to clean up when your ops go south. We got one of those, and we also have exactly one more Asian bodyguard armed with a goddamn grenade launcher than in 1993's surreal comedy Groundhog's Day. David! Are we here today to talk about La Femme Nikita? Yes, we are. Shall we begin? First identified in 1989, Cinema de Luc was a French film movement characterized by spectacle over substance, alienated young protagonists, and a skeptical eye toward the state. This is a very strong contribution by director Luc Besson toward defining that subgenre. We think it can be considered an actual game changer on how future spy movies would be made going forth into the 90s. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. And we wanted to plug in an action-based spy movie at this point in our series, as well as make sure we got our female protagonist into the mix. Given that, what could be better than La Femme Nikita for this episode of Spies Like Us? So this movie was directed by Luc Besson, who uh, later made Leon the Professional and The Fifth Element. which uh, Two movies which I... Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, which are two of my favorite movies ever. You can tell we both really, really like those movies. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty fantastic. Uh, recently, he hasn't been putting out anything that exciting, but I, I guess he's doing well because they're making another Lucy. Not, they are making, they're making another Lucy, which I don't understand at all. Yeah, but hey, uh, you get Scar Joe on anything, you can put out whatever, right? If you, I mean... You, you She'll carry told- the whole movie, right? You told me that the, that Lucy did well, right? I think it's popular. I don't know that it did well, but it's got kind of like a, a, a cult following, or like it's, it, yeah, I don't know that it did well, but it's it's just got a following. So I think they uh, were like, oh, hey, we can make some extra change here, I guess, maybe. I don't know. You know what? I might I might go ahead and and give that movie another look, even though I really 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 did not like it at the time but you know scarlett johansson kicking ass that's something i'm you know i should be down for maybe i just had too high of expectations yeah yeah you you can't go into that movie knowing it's luke brisson (laughs) yeah and then uh valerian did you see that one no but i heard really bad things it's uh this is my take on it it's a really amazing movie a really amazingly good movie, even Fifth Element good, that should have been shut down immediately as soon as the the uh, the main actor in it, like as soon as he opened his mouth, the director should have said, cut, and they should have shut everything down and got a different person. 
He just <laughs> he, he he ruins it. He's so. How can you? Can is it? He he proves something that I think should have been impossible. Like for it to be like for a male character to be way too slimy and way too boring at the same time. That sounds like a nightmare. It's pretty bad. Everything else about the movie is great. It should be like one of those things like someone should make a version, like you know how they made a version of Star Wars without uh, Jar Jar Binks? Yeah. I want to <laughs> see, see, see a, a version of Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets where there's no Valerian in it. <laughs> I heard a lot a lot of fans were not happy with it. Because I know it was a comic series or a visual it's, novel. It's yeah, it's a beloved it's a long running beloved comic series in France. And I haven't checked out the comics. Maybe I should maybe I should because those kinda sound like right up my alley. I like com I like science fiction comics. But uh La Femme Nikita, that's a nineteen ninety movie. And um if if you agree with the with the premise, I think I, I read it somewhere that 1989 is considered by some as the official end of the Cold War. So I think uh, um, we're entering into an era movie wise as we go into the 90s. I feel like we see a lot more um, just totally made up uh, villains in yeah. our in our spy movie type stuff. Like in in the eighties, you like the Cold War is still going on, and like Rambo is still fighting, or Chuck Norris is still fighting. Like some, even if they're not necessarily fighting the the specific political enemies of the United States of their day, they're they're battling some kind of uh, version of those villains. Yeah. But once the the Cold War is actually like kind of over, like audiences don't care about it uh, for a, at least for a while, until maybe we get to like later movies that we'll talk about that go back and like revisit the Cold War. But at the time, like 1990, I feel like audiences are like, okay, Cold War over, let's move on. And and this is a '80s, real '80s style action movie. Like again, like even though it's 1990, it's it's very '80s style. It's a little say? bit above the 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 rest, though, as far as the action goes, because the action was definitely top notch versus like your typical '80s shoot 'em up, where it's just like unlimited amounts of ammo and just like shooting people. There there was like actually some pretty cool like action sequences in this one. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, the, the two things that at least I associate with this movie is, uh, I think, I feel like it's the first time that I really saw a badass female protagonist. Yeah, uh, as far as, like, in the mainstream, right, the, I, I don't think we, I mean, like, I think Wonder Woman was around prior to that, but we didn't really get, like, a kind of norm, or I guess elite of a female character, at least not within those like recent decades. So it was nice to kind of get like a badass chick with some guns, right? 
And, you know, I mean, that's interesting you bring up Wonder Woman, and I'm not even sure that, uh, I guess, oh, I guess Wonder Woman had to have been, you're talking about the TV series, of course, right? Yeah, the Linda Carter. Right. 60s or 70s or something like that. Yeah. No, I think she was, yeah, I think she was, like, early 80s. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's cool to see her. And again, I really super support Wonder Woman and think she's awesome. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of, uh, not really what I'm talking about. Like, this is a, this is an actually like gritty, gonna shoot you in the face, like boom, 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 guns in hands kind of, kind of. Oh, protagonist, kind of like, uh, well, I, I don't know if we'd call her an anti-hero, but yeah, I guess she's kind of kind of rogue. She's getting her hands wet. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely not like the the poster child, I guess. Do you um I wonder like do you see like any I'm not super familiar with the Harry Potter stuff, but like do you see what what I feel like I see like also this is kind of like I feel like one of the first films where you get this uh person that is taken off the street and and taken into like a training period introduced into like a, a weird alternate world or is that just me are you saying this is the first time that it's been done in like major cinema i can't think of i can't think of things that occurred before this movie that had this kind of feel of taking uh just a young, naive person off the street and showing them what's up and, and giving them, like, through, like, training and, and through an establishment, like, having resources poured into them to make them a badass. No, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look into that. kind of caught me off guard there. Okay. I'm gonna, well, anyways... I'm gonna... I'm gonna have to dig into it because I don't know that there's a movie like that out there. I think. I mean, I think that was one of the big selling points of this movie. I think. Uh, I I think that's that's why. Like, I mean, there's always like the story of like the 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 peasant that turns into a knight, you know. But I don't know that they were specifically taken against their will and trained to be a knight. But the story be like, like Percival, which is who's my like my favorite of the Arthurian knights. Yeah, they, I mean they 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 cut those stories. They kind of climbed the ladder, and they were trying to climb the ladder. And this, it's like she's kind of taken in because of circumstance. It's not like this is something she chose, and she resisted it at first anyway. She wanted to be. She never. She never wanted to be a hero. She was just kind of pulled out of the streets and shown potential. She saw they saw potential in her. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I know we recorded uh, the main segment of this later, but I in in recent days I had an insight which I wanted to share with you, and uh, and and then we'll get we'll get right into it. But uh, I was thinking about the, I think the nonsensical idea of taking a heroin addict nihilist and turning her into this perfect assassin but after we recorded it and while i was still thinking about it later i was thinking no maybe that's exactly what makes perfect sense about it because they're asking her to pull the trigger on people she absolutely 
does not hate like she's got no they're not asking her to be loyal to a cause right at all and they're that's just what, asking her to complete the job that's what makes her dispensable and disposable and maybe the core concept to the movie is that like it's that uh nihilist with nothing to lose that is who they're looking for to fulfill that role again pure fantasy but yeah. uh that's um that's the movie we're about to talk about. Let's head to the briefing room. Alright. Voice pattern recognized. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. The plot of Le, Le Femme Nikita is um, fairly straightforward. Um, this uh, junkie girl kills the cop. She gets a life sentence, and a shadowy organization uh, fakes her death and uh, gives her a chance to serve her country as a as an undercover assassin. She does that for a while, and then she stops doing it. Boom! Yeah, the end. Pretty much the end. Yeah, <laughs> very straightforward. Yeah, so that kind of goes boom, boom, boom through the through the first scene. The um, I want to talk a little bit about the cops that show up. The uh, the wiki listed these guys as G I G N, which uh, from from looking into that, that's France's uh, kind of counter terrorism police force, like internal police They're force. They kind of like a SWAT team. Yeah, they seem to be kind of like a little little mix of SWAT and uh, uh, counter terrorism. Uh, I didn't see any. Uh, you know, they didn't actually have any logos, so I don't know why the 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 wiki listed them. Um, but I did think they were a little over-equipped for the occasion. Yeah, for just a regular robbery. I mean, they all they've gotten is a phone call from the from the shop owner that uh, his place is being broken into. He doesn't have any information about who's breaking in. So uh, I thought, uh, I don't know, I thought a four-man team uh, with uh, some low-light, what, what, what would you call that? The, the, I don't know, just low-light vision type yeah. equipment? No, it was uh, uh, night vision type of goggles. Um, definitely over the top for the 80s. But, you know, um, we did kind of, kind of talk about this, how over-equipped the police were, but, uh, you know, if this takes place in, like, the streets of France, and the first, the first, uh, oh, you know what? I'm kind of going over the scene real quick. They're regular cops that show up, but they have stuff in the car. It's kind of like the... The LAPD after the NoHo riots, they all got like M4s and like assault shotguns and stuff. So they didn't get fully equipped till like the fire shot, the the, the firefight started. So I'm not sure why Wikipedia marches marks them as like their SWAT unit. Yeah, but they did. I mean, they did seem a little over equipped, but yeah. So like uh, implausible, but um, you know, yeah. it just kind of goes with the style of the movie. The um, every everyone. These aren't the first uh, over-equipped people that we're going to see in the movie, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the 80s, and if we all know anything about 80s and early 90s, it's just like an onslaught of, of bullets and clips and explosions. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. 
other than that, I mean, I think we kind of want to speed through uh, this part of the movie. Um, you know, there's some training scenes. She learns how to fight. She learns how to look pretty. And she, uh, I think you mentioned uh, they, they specify she learns some art. Yeah, she, she uh, well, they don't really show that too much, but it shows that she had, that her handler had mentioned that she had been exceeding in art and dance. So I, I, we presume that there's some sort of art and dance going on. Right. I think it was, I think her, uh, her role as a femme fatale was a, a little better fleshed out in the um, Point of No Return movie. Uh-huh. And uh, as much as I like the hairdresser, and and I'm definitely gonna say I mean I like I like all the actors in both movies well some more than others but uh, specifically the um, uh, Nikita herself that's played by this French lady whose name I don't know she's really good in La Femme Nikita Bridget Fonda is almost as good I want I'll point out that the the hairdresser in the uh, Point of No Return is played by Anne Bancroft uh-huh. which is yeah, which is one of those like ultra famous Hollywood names that I know but don't know anything about. Right. Yeah. But uh but she was like outstanding and magnetic in in the point of no return. Yeah. And, uh, I don't really have anything else to say except that uh well, I mean the training sequence I think you know, I want to come back to this later, but I think it could have shown a bit more of the breadth of her training because just, you know, fighting, shooting, looking pretty. Yeah. <laughs> is 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 pretty much all that we see her learning to do, but and later we, and in the we movie, don't even get like a montage sequence. We get like just kind of like a an array of short scenes. It's not exactly a montage. It's more just like here's a bunch of short scenes really quickly to let you know that, hey, she's gone through some training. But, like, I don't think the training really, one, you know, really uh, gives her, like like you said, shows the breadth of what she's gone through as, as training, but really supports her capabilities later on in the film. Her handler comes and brings her a birthday cake, and she's been going through all kinds of training and stuff like that. And he's, he's just been told that he has to get her going on two weeks because she's been spending her entire training basically being rowdy and uncontrollable and, like, biting the, like, judo teacher's face off or ear off or whatever, you know. And so the handler's basically been told that he has two weeks to get her in a shape. I feel like – I feel like like it's just lately that she's been acting up. The guy that's in the guy that's one like two levels up from her because like Bob is her handler, and yeah. then he's got a boss, and and the boss says like in three months she's screwed everything up. Are you losing your touch? And <laughs> I mean, we're we're clearly not supposed to think that it's like that all of this training has only been three months, and that the guy expects her to be like on top of and ready to go. Right, 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 right. So I I think she had a good run for a while, but then lately she's been slipping. Yeah, and well, if he says, like, are you losing your touch, maybe in times past he's gotten people through training quicker, I guess. Um, But this is like, you know, like, you know, as a segue to what Todd was talking about, uh, this is pretty much like Bob's last-ditch effort to motivate her. So 
she's like not having a good time in this any of this training whatsoever. He shows up with a birthday cake and kind of like wins her over, I guess, a little bit for the moment. And and it has her blow it out. And it's actually a really, really cute scene. And and then all of a sudden he just pulls out this switchblade. Like it's the most 80s moment ever. He just pulls out this switchblade to cut the cake. Like it was so like unnecessary. You know, and, and this kind of is important later just because you know the switchblade and uh play uh there's a switchblade scene later as well like and and she hates the cake with her hands and stuff like that you know so this is kind of like taking something sweet and adding something serious it was just so over the top like 80s i just thought it was hilarious but the idea is he cuts the cake and then she's all happy you know you know he looks super cool with this like switchblade or whatever and then he says you have two weeks to shape up uh, after that, there's nothing I can do. And, you know, she'd already been told, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but she'd already been told that her choice is basically, you know, after they fake their death, her choice is either go through this training or die. And so she basically picked to go through this training. So she realizes that right now, like her, I guess her honeymoon and staying at like this training facility is kind of over and she's got to kind of get her shit together. So it's kind of like a cool moment where the handler gives her some motivation, but it was also super cheese ball, like eighties, which kind of really sets the tone for like the entire film. And what it's, we're going to focus. It's a, recurring, much it, it's a recurring motif in the movie, or I'm not sure motif is the right word, but a recurring, uh, setup in the movie where like she gets into a comfort zone and she gets like a, uh, to a comfortable place and, and kind of starts to become happy. Cause remember she's a profoundly unhappy person. At the movie. She's she's not yeah. just an addict, but she's like she's a full on nihilist. Yeah, and she she obviously has a history, and she's got serious aggression problems. You know, she lashes out like in in very destructive ways, and you know, so it's 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 obvious there's a history there with her. Right, but over and over and over, she gets to a place where she thinks she she might see life as being uh, possibly not all like doom and gloom and and destruction. Um, but it's it's always when she gets to that, like almost hits the moment of sublime. Oh, where that, she could uh, actually be happy that reality right. sits in. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, 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 that reality that comes in and just like coldly like snaps or clicks something into place. That yes. tells like no, you're you're a fly in the web. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it, it's actually kind of disparaging, but it kind of like strengthens her. It's kind of like her. I, I guess like you know, uh, you know, this is kind of like a coming of an age story for her. So it's like kind of helping her grow up. You know, she's all these moments where it's like a dream come true for her. Or it's like finally she gets a break, but then like that break turns into like this bittersweet, like terrifying moment. So it's it's kind of like building her up and strengthening her, like rather than just kind of where it's making her stronger and able to care for herself, I guess. Rather than like fall for or wait for like others to take care of her. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've you've proposed that this is a um, we talked about like who's the antagonist in this movie, and oh, I I, I, believe I it's proposed her... I proposed that it was Bob, but you had you had an alternate theory which I like as well as yeah. much. You know, I I believe this is definitely a man versus himself like plot. You know, of the three, if you want to boil it down to only three stories, you know, man versus 
man, man versus environment, man versus himself. I really think this is about her coming of age. It's not the movie's not really about this assassin that like goes on like 80s shootouts. You know what I mean? It's really about this girl that's kind of from the streets and really, really messed up is given another chance and has a lot of other people that are kind of there for her, quote unquote. You know, even though Bob is totally a dick to her and you're proposing he's the antagonist, he's kind of like a father figure for her that she probably never had. Very much so. Yeah. And and so, yeah, you could. But also in in Point of No Return, also like there's there's a lot of uh, sexual energy between them, mostly uh, that that she leverages against him as as kind of a a weapon to try to. demonstrate her female power over him because she'll like uh like um flirt with him in in some fairly aggressive ways but like she knows that he can't react to it you know like like he's uh he's she toys with him in that way and that's like one of the ways that she asserts her power over him well in this film there's definitely a lot of sexual tension but not as much it's like you're describing in Point of No Return, where she's like using it to her uh, benefit, but it's obviously there that there's sexual tension between the two of them. She even gives him a kiss at the end of her training, which we'll get to, and, and says, "I'll never kiss you again." Like, like, <laughs> but it, but it's obvious there's something. There's like a little spark between the two of them, you know. But you know, I, I. I th- I, I can definitely see the idea of him being an antagonist, but I don't think he's like the antagonist. I think she's her own antagonist, but she has to make her own decisions to grow up. I like it. Take advantage of kind of the cards that she's just been dealt and either decide to live or, you know, fail or whatever. And uh, we see that actually a lot throughout uh, the movie where she's put into situations that she has to get out of. In this case, after the birthday cake, she she does step up to the plate. She shapes up, yeah. and um, it it seems like they set up. Uh, she she finally gets to go outside. Um, yeah, years later, we, we kind of jump forward three years to her twenty third birthday. And then oh, birthday. you think okay, so yeah, so that I was confused about the timeline. So you think you think the three months was like early in her training, and then she had this chance, and then okay, I get it better now. And then over the years, now she learns to play ball, and that could have been communicated better. But that that helps me with the timeline a lot. Yeah, because we from that first birthday cake, it goes three years because that was her twentieth birthday. Then we get this huge jump, and all of a sudden she's a pro, and they're letting her outside three years later. You know, like we don't really get much of that in between. But then they're trying to get through that just to get to the story. Sure. So. When she goes outside, tell us about how that happens. Well, it's her birthday, so she thinks she's getting another moment. And she goes out to this wonderfully lavish, super, you know, pinkies up, like expensive restaurant with Bob, who we've already kind of established as some amount of sexual tension between the two of them. She's all dressed up all fancy. He's dressed up all fancy. And he gives her a gift, and it's a surprise, and she opens it, and it's a pistol, you know. And um, basically, she's just been handed her first mission. And he tells her that she has to shoot the guys behind her and that she has to wait before he leaves, wait until he leaves so that she can shoot them. And he points out who the bodyguards are. So here she's been, you know, as Todd pointed out, this is kind of a common theme going on in the whole movie. 
She gets in a comfort zone, you know, her dreams coming true. And all of a sudden reality sets in and she has to like pretty much set up her situation. But the instruction she's given is after she shoots the guy to run to the bathroom and jump out the window and there'd be a car waiting. Yep. However, after the shots are fired, she gets out, she runs into the bathroom, opens the window, and it's bricked there's out. Body, there's bodyguards coming in from, from outside the street. Super heavily armed bodyguards, yeah. again. Like, they've got assault assault machine guns and everything. Yeah. And, we're, you know, I'm assuming these are all mafia guys or something to be that heavily armed. I don't think this is, like, a political kill or maybe some sort of terrorist organization or organized crime or some sort. But, yeah. She she has to get out and dudes are swarming in from all all of the different entryways into this like restaurant, and she's bricked out of the window that she was told by her handler to get out. But uh, I really wanted to discuss this really badly because I think what the first 30, 40 minutes is her training sequence. We she doesn't get out for a, like forty minutes. I think I think forty minutes is when she finally leaves the facility. Sure, sure. So we're talking about three years, maybe three and a half years. This government organization has dumped money in training this girl. And she's not living in a prison. She's living in, like, actually a pretty solid facility. She gets her own room. They're feeding her. And it's not like, you know, it's not slop. It's, you know, it's cafeteria food, but it's not like slop or whatever, you know. And they're going, giving, going through all this training for her. So this is probably an expensive process for them. So they just spent three months, three years and probably like six months or something, seven, eight months on this girl. And their first mission, they're going to throw her out and then block out her entry, her, her exit out and make her improvise. Which, by the way, is another common theme is how much improvisation is required of like our agents, especially, you know, Nikita throughout the entire Cinematic, year. Cinematically, it's fun. It's it's yeah, a very it's a very nice cool. twist. It puts you on the edge of your seat as an audience member, right? And you're like, oh, okay, this is her big training moment. They they had to see if she could survive. Ah, I get it, you know. But like, I mean, like in reality, they that's a very expensive person that they just like possibly like risked losing her life, you know, uh, off of, uh, off of against obviously an organization that they know is heavily armed, right? So it's like. They basically threw her into the, the, the fire, like full blast, deep end, no questions, no help, no training, no backup, just her by herself against an extremely armed organization. And 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 they're just kind of like, yeah, well, this is her test. If she can survive, she's in. If she can't, well, we'll just go find a bunch of other people we'll just waste the money on. We'll yeah. spend so, another three and a half years. Yeah, 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 exactly. Although, so although she wasn't the only she she wasn't the only person uh, in the training facility. No, but if they're going to be doing this to all of their potential agents, they're going to be running out of agents. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's why it makes you you're what number two, I think. Number two worst trade craft. You know, for our spy masters who are making this decision on you know human resources at this point. Like that—that's a pretty bad. That's a very, very expensive uh, risk for them to be taking. And if they're taking this with all their agents, it's you know. And from Bob, he t- when when they get back and she makes it out, Bob tells her like, "We had to know that you know we could count on you or whatever." And, and it's just like, okay, well, you just trained her for three years to get this one assassination. You're gonna let her, you know? It's, yeah, spy masters get minus like fifty spy points. 
<laughs> so now she pretty much has to 80s style like shoot her way out of the situation. Uh, but funny enough, I think Todd, you counted the number of shots. I did. I did. I went back, and actually, it's it's pretty legit. Because she had pretty... two magazines. She had one in the pistol and a second one for backup, and she goes through both of them. And, I, and... I I counted I counted eleven shots uh, from the loaded weapon and eight from the unloaded. She does take a look at her clip at some point. We don't know exactly what she sees, but even if there were three shots left in it, she she doesn't think it's enough at right. that point. After passing her uh, trial by fire, um, <laughs> you know her surprise mission. You know, in the middle of the of of the restaurant where she wasn't expecting to have to, you know, suddenly like put her skills to use and and suddenly improvise and 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 actually do things. You know, shoot at people and escape this uh, death trap in a real mm -hmm. situation. Uh, she's graduated. That was her final test. And they let her out, and they give her her cover identity. And at this point, she's kind of a sleeper agent, right? She's just gonna um, go out in the world, yeah, work at the hospital. Um, which uh, I think I'm I'm gonna call this uh, like my 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 number three best tradecraft for this movie. Uh, it's subtle, and you know I had to think about it, but when I did, I was I was impressed. I think that. Hospital work is a really good cover uh, for an agent. Like you have to cover like like weird. Oh yeah. You have you have you could be called in at any time. You right. sometimes have to work late real hours. long shifts. Late hours, right? Late hours, right? Yeah, it's a twenty-four hour kind of kind of gig. Right. And um, it's also like it's also not a place like. For instance, like if my cover identity is like I'm a checker at Ralph's, like anybody could just come by Ralph's and like see that I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But a, hos a hospital is like someplace. It's it's very difficult. Like you know, it's a huge uh, complex with uh, you know a lot of people doing a lot of things and people being assigned in weird places. It's not a place where you could just like stop by and check in and say like, "Hey, how's Marie doing?" Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I want to talk to Marie. It doesn't work that way. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, wait, so after we get this, this is where we start with the boyfriend, huh? Right, which is part of why I mentioned the hospital thing, because it, it really does, like, give her a lot of cover against, yeah. like, his his uh, wondering, like, wh why she has to go weird places for long weird places periods. all the time. But yeah, she does. She does get a boyfriend. Talk about it. Well, you know, this is actually kind of cute. She, it's like you know, she got her. She's let out into the world by this organization, and she's trying to like live her life. Gets an apartment. She goes out grocery shopping. And funny enough, you know, I guess at the beginning of her trade craft is following this lady, watching what she buys, and starts buying everything this lady buys. It's actually kind of cute. But she goes up to the register and meets this guy at the register, and they start chatting it up. And, you know, sparks fly, and then she invites him over to dinner, and uh, we uh, we we have we have some romance all of a sudden. It was actually kind of cute. But I think Todd, you were saying that you like this transition here. I I really did like I really did like the transition. She gets, I mean, when she first like settles in, uh, it's it's a really like fucking 
broke down apartment. It's like it's not painted. It's not furnished or anything. And yeah. she brings him back there because she still hasn't like settled in. But they do. I, I thought that uh, the transition there's uh, she brings him back to her apartment, even though it's shitty. Um, they have a delightful little like, uh, I think, candle lit. Yeah. Um, dinner on the floor because she's got no furniture. And then she just like his bones. a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And she just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they fall asleep and then and then and then we uh or you know we transition like we do tastefully in movies you know we don't want to see people fucking on screen necessarily we just want to imply that they're you know right. doing the nasty. yeah but uh but then like you know we uh show i think him or her it doesn't it's not important but um it shows them one of them waking up in a very nicely furnished apartment. Like everything's painted and it's clear. Like it's, it's just a really nice way to like, just quickly show that they've made a life together. Yeah. And that they've, you know, been working out and things are going well. And yeah, no, that's definitely a very, very cute uh, transition. But, yeah. Um, it's, it says, it says a lot with very little. Yeah. And it's, it's, I like how it's just like this one moment is what, started the whole thing so we don't really need to see the relationship you know where we get it like this this one night started it all that one spark and and now they're that now they're head over heels in love with each other <laughs> but there is a fly in the ointment because even yeah, though yeah. like her her cover's good and she's very well trained he's noticing that um she doesn't have any friends or and... family or anybody nobody yeah. comes Right, yeah. friends or family. And I think and, met, uh, I, we've been together for like six months. I think is what it is, and still no friends, no family. Like he starts getting suspicious. Right, and it's at first it's just kind of a little teasing and a little like concern for her. But his concern for her is is over this issue is going to grow over time. Like we we constantly see like uh, we don't actually ever see them fighting about it, but we we constantly are getting these references of how he's, you know, the point of contention in their relationship is that she doesn't like to talk about her past. And, like, there's the, like, for instance, there's the thing, like, you know, um, what is it? Uh, I don't ask, she says, I don't ask any questions about you. And he says, well, yeah, well, I wish you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um this uh, I think this is when she gets her next mission, right? Or is this her first official mission? That's yeah. This is her first official mission outside outside the dealio. She just gets a call. She gets uh, triggered by her code name Josephine. Anytime she hears Josephine, even though that's not her cover name, her cover name is Marie. But when she hears the name Josephine spoken to her on the phone, she knows that that is her activation signal. Much yeah. like. Um, well, not exactly like, but uh, how in the company, Yevgeny had his particular activation code that right, right. was meant to alert him that okay, now you are now you are snapping from inactive to active. Right, right, and it's time to get started. And um, she's sent over to a hotel, and this That's guy correct. at the bar asks. If she has a light, 
and then instructs her to go down to the basement. And notice, notice that uh, when the guy asks if she has a light, she, I, you know, again, like it's only something you'll notice if you're really paying attention to the movie uh, in preparation for making notes for a podcast like this. But she doesn't like fish around in her purse for that lighter. Like uh-huh. it, it snaps up immediately. So she obviously knows what's going on, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. What I'm saying is like clearly the the got a light has to have been like some kind of confirmation password. So that's a that's a little bit of spy points there. That's like eh, you know plus one whatever. No, but she's taken down to the basement where uh, they've got I guess the housekeeping staff kind of I don't know kidnapped or on guard or well they're not like chained or anything but they're just kind of waiting and they have her dress up as a maid she comes in she comes in right and and there's there's three people that look like business right yeah and there's also three people no four people like kind of sitting in a corner looking very nervous and they look like like classic french uh hotel staff right and and they're not quite sure what what's going on with this but, yeah, uh, and they definitely look, I mean, they definitely look a little bit traumatized, you know. So, we're, she's still trying to figure, you know, no one's, like, spelling all this out for her. She's just following, like, from point A, gives her instructions to go to point B. And yeah, then, uh, she, yeah they, even when she changes, she's done changing, and she's like, you know, what do I do now? And they're like, you wait. So, she just literally just sits down and waits until they, they get a phone call for room service, I guess, from this room. Right. So there's this guy that's standing up on the table. One of the um one of the supposedly agents of possibly her agency or possibly another. I want to talk about that a little bit in a minute. But uh there is a guy standing on a table and what they've apparently done, they've detained the first of all, they've detained four members of the hotel staff for some reason. Right. I mean, they're not trained up, but you know they got to stay there. They can't go wandering around or something. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, they're not comfortable with this. Is basically <laughs> right. They're they're being held against their will. They're, right, that's right. why I I'd use the word detained. What at first I thought kidnapped, but we'll talk about how that would would make sense or not make sense. Um, there's a guy that's standing on a table. He's he's got a cable that's going up to the ceiling, and he's got big cans on his head. And he's listening intently for something. And um, at first I wondered why he's standing on the table. Eventually we're going to find out that basically what they've done is they've hacked into the hotel's room service comm lines. Right. And this guy is that's standing on the table. He's listening intently for a room service call from a very certain room. And as far as why he's standing on the table... I think it's because uh, he didn't. He was supposed to bring a, a longer cable yeah. than he did. Yeah, they had to improvise. Maybe, maybe adding more to the improvised scene. Yeah, I thought that was really weird too. Like what? And I, and I'm I'm gonna give him minus three spy points for not bringing a long enough cable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's got this crazy big button, right? Which I, I guess is when they're waiting for a specific room so he can hit the switch and direct the call to them. Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, so he's got this, like, um, I don't know, a box or, or 
not I don't want to call it control, but a box with a big red like a panic button, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of thing. And it's bright red. And so I think we don't see it happen, but I think he's got that big button so that he can very quickly tap uh yeah. to to intercept and and change the communication uh that's going on in the hotel to their communication. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting like setup on this, you know, where uh, they've hacked into the room and stuff like that. I think you marked this as one of your favorites. I did. I did. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and call this my number one best tradecraft in the movie. This whole mission where they uh, hacked into the. Um, I mean, what what we're gonna find out is that basically it was just an operation to sneak some bugs into a particular hotel room. But yeah, they bugs in all kinds of fun spots. You know, like a but salt the, sticker. But they're doing it in such an elaborate way, you know, like such an elaborate and complicated way that suggests to you, that's what suggests to you that the security of the people in this hotel room is like mosquito tight. You know, like like Nothing, nothing is getting through these guys except like you have to do this like huge like you know get these agents, uh, detain hotel staff, call in this black ops agent, um, right. set it all up with a disguise and everything. But um, you know it it gets my number one best tradecraft because not only because it it works, but everyone here is professional. Except maybe, you know, I could, like I said, I'd take a couple of spy points away from the guy that didn't bring along enough cable. But at least he improvised, you know, yeah, like he, get it out, he said, you know? right, yeah, I'll just have to stand on the table <laughs> to make <Yeah>. the connection. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my number one, that's my number one best tradecraft of the movie. Uh, it's. I mean, the movie's got some tradecraft, but a lot of it, it, I think, is very questionable. I actually couldn't find almost anything to to complain about with the tradecraft that's going on with these guys. Yeah, no, they put bugs in several different implements. They got the salt shaker, the spoon, or whatever. They had they had one hidden in the handle of the coffee mug. Yeah, they put three in there just so that if they found one, you know, yeah. they'd be like, hey, all right, throw this in the toilet and then yeah, maybe yeah, stop exactly. looking. But even if they found a second one, they'd be like, ha ha, we're yeah. so clever. <laughs> you found your second bug. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's one in the pen. Um, there's one in the, I think it's sugar. Or I, sugar. Yeah, it could be either, especially since it's France, but. Yeah, but it was in a shaker, which I've never seen sugar in a shaker, but apparently Todd has. So so what I want to ask you about this, though, is, like, uh, if there's one thing I want to dig in on this is, like, what is the end game here with the with those hotel staff? Because you can't do this and just, like, finish the op and just release these four people back out onto the street. Or can you? What do you well, think? I, I would presume that they have a relationship with the hotel, that they talked to like a higher up somewhere and uh, was like, hey, we're with the government. Here's our, you know, our credentials or whatever. We have a situation. 
we would like to get involved in this situation. Please help us. And then maybe the hotel staff themselves aren't really aware of what's going on, but they've been given orders to just follow what these guys are saying. Um, yeah, it would be messy. It would be messy to, like, directly tell the hotel staff that's four people that you don't know, haven't vetted. Right. You don't you don't know who they, yeah, you know. Why are they even in that room? Why, detain, why not detain them somewhere else to send them home for the day or something? That was really odd. Actually, come to think of it. Yeah, you bring up a good point. What, like, even if they worked with the hotel, why would they have the four people? I mean, that might be a cinematic thing. Maybe we should well, again, we want to see it. We want to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, like, uh, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna uh, kill these four people to keep them quiet. You're not gonna tell you'll give them. them... A, you'll give them like a fat tip, probably. Yeah. Okay, but that, I mean that only goes so far. So what I'm thinking is, what you do is, in the moment, you just detain the the four people, oh. and then you go up. You you as you know, you're a super secret government government agency. You don't want to tip your cards to any, like, John and Nancy on the street, for sure. Right. So maybe, but but maybe at some level, like, at the hotel manager level is one place where maybe you do say, like, hey, this happened, by the way. Uh, you're going to have four unhappy employees. I want you to give each of them like a $2,000 bonus right? and and tell them to just be quiet. And so they don't need to know anything. And now only like one person have you revealed to yourself, revealed to them that like this was a government op. And maybe it goes higher than the hotel management. You know, maybe it's the owner of the hotel. Like I think the higher up the chain that you that you can have an agent go in and say, look, this was a government thing. You need to shut up about it because obvious, and you need to play ball because I mean, we're, we're the government. We can, we can do all sorts of things to your hotel. You know, we can just like revoke your hotel license or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I, th I think the, I think the best move is to like at the highest possible level, tip your hands slightly. You don't have to tell them what the op was or anything. You go in, you say, look, we detained four of your hotel staff. They're not going to be happy. They've seen some things. This was for the government. This was for the greater good. Here's a bunch of money. Yeah. Here's a bunch of money. And, and you need to give each of those four people a $2,000 check. And, like, just giving them a big enough check should be enough to tell them, like, don't fucking talk about this. Yeah, I know, right? Don't mention anything. Don't say a word. You know. Now I wonder also, like, why? Because cause this is also it's it's a it's a fun scene in the movie where she's called in to do a very simple thing, incredibly simple thing. She just needs to dress up like, uh, what would she, uh, um, hotel employee. Yeah, oh yeah, so that that was one of the kind of, I guess, fun things in the movie was, you know, she's been going all through this rigorous training on killing and beating people up, and then she her first mission is an assassination mission. And her next mission, like, they kind of set up this whole tense moment where she's dropping off, like, this, like, room service. The whole but time the whole she doesn't time, know what she's going to be expected to do. 
She has no idea. She has no idea. They just like sit here and wait till you get further instructions, which is also a common theme in this movie. Just wait till you get further instructions. They send her up and there's like guards at the door of the hotel room. And they just take the tray from her, give her like what 200 franc tip and then yeah, send her like, off. Like 40 bucks is what I saw um, is what that would translate into it's not huge but i mean it's 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 nice work if you can get it for just uh taking a tray of drinks up to her room yeah exactly so you know she she's given some cash and then she goes back down and she asked the the guy that she met in the basement earlier like what's next he's like go home that was it it was kind of anticlimactic but it was kind of fun because we got this tension it was anticlimactic in a fun way for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So 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 why use her for this? And here's my theory is um I I and it's just a pet theory of mine. I think that the um the center which is what is it's never stated in the movie, but the center is who she works for. That's who Bob works for. Right. And they train these super black super black agents. They're they're not used for uh, you know, they're not like the, the kind of classic, like spy cover that we see, like, uh, you know, ambassadors or people that work at embassies are often recruited as spies, but those are people that are like, I don't know, they're, they're seen, they're in and around the game with her. Uh, it's just like, she can just like be put into place really quick and then taken out of place really quick. And that's it. Like there's no connection for, you know, counterintelligence to right. like like track her presence she's still, she's still new in the game right so they you know it's you know at some point in an agent's life they they know who you are at that point i guess the other agencies know you i guess right you know? but she she's 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 like fresh out of training she's never been used before her whole life before this was being a junkie so you know i think you got a good point there so here's so, so- so yeah, so my pet theory is that, and I, I think we'll see this again with the assassination scene in Venice, where is uh, she gets like the center? I think specializes in training these super super untraceable black agents to just go in and be inserted into another agency's op as an untraceable person that can oh. just like go in, do a little thing and get out and and not leave any uh, trails behind because they weren't part of the larger operation. There's nothing to trace them back to. So under under that theory, these guys um, are maybe the DGSE uh, of France, which is like, uh, um, I mean, they could have been the DGSI, which is the internal branch, but that wasn't founded at this point so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and say like maybe these guys were francis dgse which is like uh kind of like kind of like our cia it's not there's not an exact parallel but they're responsible for uh uh security not security operations and covert operations of national importance right 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 and and maybe they just like the center just supplies her as like uh almost like a temp. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, right. Well, that makes sense because they sent her all these random missions, I guess. 
Let's right, see. and that could be the same case in, in the way that she's used in Venice. Because in Venice, you know, clearly there's a huge operation that leads up to the Venice assassination. And and a, a lot of, like, work to follow up on it. But she's not part of any of that. She just gets plugged in at a specific moment to do a specific tiny thing. And then she's out of there, like a ghost. Yeah. Wait, well, before we even talk about Venice, we got to do the dinner scene. Let's do it. Yeah. We, we, didn't, we didn't meet Uncle Bob. The estranged Uncle Bob. Right. So yeah. the, Uncle, the Uncle Bob scene is... Uh, um, him, uh, Bob showing up at her apartment to have dinner with her and her boyfriend. I forget whose idea was this. That was her idea. She calls Bob. It's like, would you like to come over for dinner? She was really happy about her mission success or whatever. And I guess that fat tip too, and decided to have dinner. But because uh, her boyfriend was suspicious about not bringing friends or family over, she was like, well, you know, Bob. Do you want to come over and, uh, for, you know, uh, for dinner and pretend to be family, friends type thing? You know, the other situation, you know, and it, of course it's got to be Bob just to set more sexual tension up between two of them and him seeing her and her boyfriend all super happy together and stuff like that. Um, but during this dinner, I think this is what you might want to talk about this. Bob shows up for dinner uh, at their apartment posing as her uncle. And uh, clearly, even though we didn't um, we didn't see them do it, this is somehow like uh, possibly like a, a little sub operation to kind of allay her boyfriend's suspicions. We didn't see her, you know, talk to Bob about the fact that this is, like I said, like the fly in the ointment of their relationship. Yeah. But uh, it does seem to be like a weak point in her cover that she doesn't have friends. And, you you know, when I was first watching it, you know, like I was thinking like, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to have some agents pretend to be friends. And then, well, here we go. We get that. Um, and during, during the dinner, um, Bob really like reads the situation and he really gets a, a dial in on what is going on between them because again they're kind of bickering a little about like you know this whole issue of like asking questions about her past her boyfriend feels like he doesn't know her and he wants to know her because he loves her and he thinks he needs to know more about her past and you know they're not laying this all out on the table but bob picks up on this you know and he comes up with this really like cute and and elaborate i mean not i don't want to say elaborate but it's pretty detailed you know this very cute story detailed. very it's, detailed it's a cute story about what she was like as a little girl and frog it, jumping in the mud type of thing yeah right and pretending to be a frog and making all the other little girls laugh yeah. and it i like to think that he spun it up out of whole cloth and the moment. Right. I mean, well, it kind of feels potentially, like that. potentially he's been in this situation before. So he might be like, uh, you know, just drawing from, from things that he's had to tell people before, but, but it does seem like nicely tailored to her. It does seem like he comes up in the moment. I'm giving it my number two best trade craft for this movie because of the reading of the room 
understanding what his agent needs in this moment and being able to improvise successfully and use conversation to accomplish an objective. The objective being easing worries of a significant other or yeah i was gonna say a civilian right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. -agent about yeah. your agent's cover that's the little thing he needs to accomplish here and he does it masterfully spy points i'm not sure how many spy points to give but i'm definitely calling it my number two favorite piece of tradecraft in the movie very nice and and he even, instead of saying what he does as a living, he asks, by the way, did she tell you what I do for a living? He's like, no. He's like, well, I'm a travel agent. Here's two tickets to Venice. And here we are in the lovely, romantic Venice, Italy. Uh, we have our, our beloved couple of Nikita and our, uh, unsuspecting boyfriend, well, I guess very suspecting, but I, I guess appeased boyfriend after Uncle Bob's, uh, free trip to Venice. And they do the, the Venice couple things, riding around boats, taking pictures, drinking water. It's very romantic. It's very romantic. Very, ro very romantic. But we get back to the hotel and she gets another Josephine call and then proceeds probably... The most iconic moment of this movie that I can remember. Agreed. I've seen, yeah, I've seen this movie when I was young, and I think I saw it twice, younger. But uh, I haven't seen it for a while. And watching this again, and this still scene sticks out like a sore thumb to me. And like, it, I think it's a very powerful scene cinematically, uh, tradecraft-wise. Man, but I mean, it does its job. But let's let's uh, let's talk about this. What so, happened? What happened? So they're kind of on this like wonderful romantic trip, and I and I guess they're fiancés at this point, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be a, a the the trip to Venice was supposed to be a, a an engagement gift from Bob. Right, you know, Uncle Bob, the estranged Uncle Bob with lots of money, who's a travel agent. Here's a free trip, right? So, uh, so they get to the hotel, and she gets a Josephine call, and uh, she basically has to separate herself from her which once again which once again is one of those moments where everything's going coming up roses for her Wonderful. and then all of a sudden the cold hand of what she is really about and what she's really under like comes in out of nowhere her real life the the reality of what she is and who she's been trained to be and she basically goes and uh they were well I guess they were about to uh become very romantic at the hotel room and uh, she had to cut it off and basically pull the, I don't feel so well. I want to take a bath uh, type of excuse. And I think she did it really well. Uh, you know, I mean, we're still watching a movie, so it was very uh, active, but anyway, she gets instructions to find a walkie talkie uh, in a, or a radio, a handset radio in the bathroom Picks up the handset radio, gets further instructions to find pieces to a Steyr Aug, one of my all-time favorite assault rifles. Uh, so that made me even more excited, you know, as a kid and getting to watch it again was watching her put this Steyr Aug together. She got all the pieces together, had to fit them and put them together. It's got a silencer, got a scope, and it's like, yeah, we're getting ready. And so she's on this handset radio 
putting this like you know uh rifle together to get off i guess a sniper shot is what we're assuming at this point while their boyfriend is kind of like dealing with you know room service and is kind of thinking to himself and this is when i love this scene because this is the scene that really sets the tone for really who she is and what this movie is about is her really living this double life with this boyfriend you know and and her not being able to kind of like forget who she is or where she came from type of situation she's sitting here in the bathroom with a handset um on her ear getting instructions about taking out a target holding like a giant assault rifle with like a silencer on it while her boyfriend is trying to have a heart-to-heart conversation with her because he's really upset that he feels through the, through the bathroom door through through the bathroom door, so he has no idea what she's doing, and so this is a super tense scene where she's trying to pull off this mission, and her boyfriend's trying to have a heart to heart talk at the probably the wrong moment, you know, just the timing is just not. It's right. very bad timing. Yeah, very bad timing. He doesn't know that. He just thinks, you know, his his lovely fiance is just taking a bath, you know. But I mean, I guess he could get the message. She wants to be left alone, but he has to, you know go on and pry and be like, look, it really bothers me. I don't know anything about you. And, and I wish I could know. And I know you're going through things and I have an imagination. And she's, she's like wiping tears away while she's waiting for instructions to pull off this shot. It's a fantastic scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like, I like the scene. And as I mentioned before, um, point of no return follows La Femme Nikita very slavishly all the way until the last mission. And this is, we're still in the, like, if, if I, I'm not even sure if you watch these, if the timing is the same, but if you watch these movies like side by side, you know, in like two windows, you'd just be seeing the exact same things happening, the exact same things. And the scene is the same in Point of No Return. And I think in both cases, they're both like really powerful scenes, as you said, but I gotta put my spy thinking hat on here a little bit and 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 think about this now again, like I said, like I think the whole idea here is that they insert her, you know, because again, she's just gonna show up, take the shot, and then disappear so right. Again, my pet theory is that the center supplies exactly this kind of asset to other broader espionage or uh, covert operations. Yeah. Um, the 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 door that the the target is coming out of, and and remember that. Um, apparently, like the guy that's on the radio with her, that's giving her the instructions, he doesn't even know who the target is until uh, they show up. You know, she's like, "Who's the target? Who's the target?" Because her boyfriend is like, you know, not banging, <laughs> yeah. not not banging on the door, but yeah. you know, he's he's putting this emotional pressure on her. Yeah. And she's like, you know, come on, who's the fucking target? I need to fucking do this and get it done with so I can deal with my boyfriend. And um, but they don't know until the last minute. And, you know, it's it's a weird like it's a weird little side door that they're coming out of that that it, it's it's a like a kind of a, uh, you know, I yeah, it's so hard to try to describe like the architecture of Venice. It's so different than like the kind of cities that we're used to, but it's a, it's a back door that 
is very secluded and and the only way out of there is by boat and so it does look to me like a kind of place where the targets of the operation would have felt very safe like like leaving this place through like they would think like well, it was no right one... next to the canal they, they they had access to a boat that they could jump off of i don't know how many of those are in venice i assume a lot of them but it, it was like the door was right next to a boat like a the shot the shot that she has to take is from like three stories up and there's even like a big pillar in the yeah. middle uh yeah. like it it's it's a very like you know like normally what like what i'm thinking what i'm what i'm trying to express here is like usually when you are trying to take out a target with a sniper you want to like be in a place where you have like a broad field of view this is not that no. This is a very tiny, narrow window where there's literally probably going to be like seven seconds between the target exiting the door and becoming visible and getting on the boat and being in a crowd of people and being no longer a valid target. Plus, within that seven seconds, there's probably like a good one second in between where this pillar is going to be in the way. So like it was extremely specific. And I like that idea. I mean, I like that idea that this is like, you know, someplace that they thought like, there's no way we can be observed from here. But the are the quote unquote, good guys, you know, our French uh, center people have figured out there is this tiny one little bathroom window that the shot could be taken from. But as much as I like all of that, I got to give it my number two worst tradecraft in the movie because there's too many things that could have gone wrong here. Yeah, the timing. Variables, yeah. The timing is completely suspicious. There's, I understand that they could have set her up with the, you know, getting her to Venice with the tickets, paying for the hotel room, prearranging the specific hotel room they would be in, setting up the equipment in that particular bathroom, you know, the AUG and the radio equipment. Right. But there's no way that they could have uh, managed to have her have come back to the hotel at that time. It's just at the right time to get that phone call, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it falls apart there. I'll call it my number two. It's I'm not taking anything away from how great of a scene it is, but it's my number two bad tradecraft. And if it wasn't for the fact that there's some much worse (laughs) tradecraft on the horizon, this could have easily been a number one. In another movie, but we're gonna we're gonna get some worse stuff coming up. Yeah, it gets pretty bad. Falling after this, yeah. <laughs> after Venice, we get to the final job uh, that that she does in the movie, and this is the like one of the longest sequences, and this is where we get to our our finale and our denouement. Um, her her last job is a lot more complicated than anything that she's been asked to do previously in fact she gets handed now after having to do just these little like weird like little drop-in missions 
here she's actually handled handed uh, an operation that she's supposed to lead. Um, she gets five months to plan it out, and she's told that she can choose her own team and how she wants to go about uh, accomplishing the mission. And I want to talk about this, like going back to, uh, you know, like our training segment of the movie where we're shown that she's learning how to shoot. Well, actually, they didn't. Turns out they didn't actually need to learn teach her how to shoot. She was a really good marksman. Yeah, uh, like well, yeah. In, in the first place. But learning how to fight, learning how to seduce, which is actually something she never really does in this movie, right? I mean, yeah. at least it's part of an op. Yeah. Kinda weird. Yeah. Um feels like like meat that was left on the bone that, that could have been used to good advantage. But um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, like, now she's doing um, not only, like, simple get instructions, follow instructions, get out kind of things. She's, she's handed a complex operation that she's supposed to, like, manage and plan. And we never found out how she was trained to do this. And also, this is the kind of thing you can't... Remember, all of her training was done in basically um, a kind of a, a prison, you know? That, it was that a pretty was... sterile environment, like, within, like, a kind of underground building. She never saw the light of day at this point. Right, but what, what she's doing now is field work. I think I'm using the right term. This She's is the sort of thing training them. Yeah. This is the sort of thing you can't learn from reading books. There's no way to like set this kind of training up in an enclosed environment where you're basically holding your uh, pupil hostage. Right. Um, this is the sort of thing you can only learn by like years of maybe following and being mentored by a, a senior agent in the field. I probably maybe you know what I maybe I should have flagged this as <laughs> as one of my worst tradecrafts, but um, <laughs> but but I didn't, and and I'll I'll stick with it. I mean I just I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to assume that somehow they taught her this in class. It's it's a it's a missed opportunity. But months do pass. We see her doing her spy stuff. She's doing more spy stuff than we've ever seen her do before. She's doing surveillance on the ambassador's movements. By the way, I should mention what the mission is. The mission is we we, we don't know it immediately, but we're gonna find out. Like the mission is. The ambassador of a or, unnamed country. The country's okay. never named. He's been getting uh, information and and very high level, high value information from uh, I think uh, very large tech companies. He's keeping this information in his safe at the embassy, which is a safe place to keep it because the government can't get in there. Right because it's technically like foreign soil. Yeah. He's going to be leaving the country. He's going to be leaving France in five months. And the only keys to the safe are in his pocket. So basically the job is 
get the shit out of the safe. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I th- they, 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 yeah, because he has the key to the safe, and they, so they have to figure out a way to get his key, get into the embassy, get the information or evidence that he's been selling this information and get out. So we're looking at a pretty hefty, hefty mission here. This isn't like something, this, this isn't like just shoot the guy and go. You know? And there's also, and, and there's also a reason for that, um, is that, uh, they say tensions are high, so they're not supposed to. They, they one of her caveats or one of her uh, stipulations on the mission is that like he's not to be harmed. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. What was what was the line? Uh, work magic, not chaos, or something. Work magic, not havoc. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Work magic. Yeah. This is a delicate situation. Uh, relations are strained. Work magic, not havoc. Why don't uh, you take us in and tell us how they planned this operation and how it was supposed to go? Well, the idea was that they were... Well, they, she had to find her agents first, but uh, the general, I guess, plan ahead of the, the, the tradecraft behind this, she was going to pose as an art dealer because they, through her surveillance, they discovered that he has a... A thing for art dealers. He's got a mistress, or or, or, or a girlfriend. I, I don't. I don't want to say mistress because I don't know if he's married. But he's got a girlfriend that uh, is an art dealer that he frequents her apartment. Yeah, and so he's obviously into art, and he's also into women art dealers. So they have. We're we're gonna have Nikita pose as an art dealer to try and get him interested both ways about the art and about uh you know everything behind the art uh dealer um anyway uh and and drug him and get the key (laughs) but but the cover in this moment of being you know an artist that is like coming up the stairs it looks i mean nikita looks like someone his girlfriend would know it looks to him like someone that possibly would have keys to the apartment it looks to him like someone that, you know, I've never seen you before. I don't know who you are, but you look legit because. And attractive. <laughs> right, 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 right. So that's how she gets him into the door and alone. But he's not really alone, is he? No, he's not. They got his lookalike, which is the same actor. Um, uh, no, uh, it's, it's Nikita and the lookalike. And the lookalike is preparing drinks for him. In secret. And that in that secret. guy's hidden in the kitchen. And he's going to drug the drink. And uh, she, you know, the guy obviously drinks. They've watched him drink before. So they're just going to. And, and that's another thing of why it would be a good idea to have it at the girlfriend's place. He's used to the pattern. You know, he's that, that's his, uh, you know, his bell to eat, you know, in the saliva uh, type of situation. Uh, this little Pavlov's moment is like, oh, I need a drink when I'm in this room. Uh, so they prepare him a drink with a drug in it. And then just before he's about to drink, Nikita pulls a gun out on him and just tells him to drink, which I'm really confused about. Why would you do that? Why, you know, so uh, this is actually going to make my uh, my number one by far worst tradecraft moment of the Nikita. By far, you say? By far. 
by far. There is no purpose to this. The guy is conscious and would remember you, or at least remember something about you. She is wearing sunglasses. She is wearing sunglasses, okay. And but, a wig. Like, and a wig, but, I mean, something. There might be something he remembers, okay? Uh, or even there could be there could be surveillance cameras in the building, and they would see who walked in and out and whatever. I presume in the parking lot or somewhere down the street or whatever. The, the point is, is why when there's no threat in this situation, the guy's gonna drink the drink. Why are you gonna point a gun at him and force him to drink the drink that he already wants to drink? In fact, I think he's the one that asked for a drink. I don't, I don't understand the point of this. There was no purpose to this other than to create a problem. And that problem is, hey, guess what? You're at gunpoint. We're not the people you think we are. And now you're in trouble. And and I want you to finish the drink. To which, if it was me, and I was about to drink a drink, and somebody pointed a gun at me to tell me to drink a drink, I wouldn't drink it. I'd be like, go oh, fuck yourself. Shoot me. Because at that point, I would think they wanted me to look like I was killing myself, and I would rather not give them the benefit, not give them the the what the the enjoyment of getting their mission completed. I'd be like, go fuck yourself. I'm not drinking this drink. You know, I go 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 get out of here. Like, yeah. So to me, this is the worst decision, probably in the entire movie. And there's some pretty bad ones coming up. But this this is this is why even do that? There was no point. Anyway, sorry. Okay, but regardless, uh, I mean, the plan is still going according to plan. Um, the lookalike guy, the agent that she had planted in the apartment, um, who looks amazingly like, uh, very similar to the ambassador, uh, and we think we're actually, I, I'm not 100% sure it's the same actor, but I, I keep watching it again. I, I think it is. I think it's the same actor. I'm, yeah. I'm almost positive it's the same actor. There's no just, other... Yeah. Which is plus five points for her for recruiting uh, a guy that looks this, sure, this similar. Like yeah. Yes. Um, but, uh, so, like, the next thing that's supposed to go on is, like, he's... Uh, so now he's putting on a wig, and he's dressing up like the ambassador, and I guess they're gonna... Well, they're gonna get the keys out of the pocket, right? put it into his pocket, and have him leave the apartment, be escorted by the bodyguards back to the embassy where he will use the keys to open the safe to get the info. Cool. Um, I'm a little weirded out that, like, you know, uh, the, the bodyguards probably would have noticed that his voice is not the same. Um, it, 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 seems, it seems dicey. Uh, the plan overall is pretty good, but it, it just it, it it falls apart if you really think about like you know like bodyguards are supposed to really know the person that they're bodyguarding. Yeah, and this guy would have had to have been like a real master of you know just his voice and disguising mannerisms his and and everything. And plus, of course, the elite group of this company where they're selling out temps like you were theorizing is plausible. It's very plausible that they would be able to pull this off. Uh, minus all the rookie mistakes that have been going on and are about to happen, you know, but 
I mean, it's a it's a decent shot, and and uh, you know, like, uh, let's remember again, like this is her first operation that she's running, so maybe it's possible that she could have not thought through every. You know, it's not like she's. You know, yes, even if you imagine that she has been trained in this, this is her first time out at actually doing it. Right, with no support from superiors. She's basically running this team herself. She she gets a call from uh, someone else that's, like, monitoring the operation and finds out that the guards, that there's a code phrase that's supposed to be used I, it's not clear, but like I, I presume between him and his guards, or right. something, which yeah, is weird. Changed. Like that's pretty fucking paranoid, right? Yeah, really paranoid. <laughs> Anyways, this this has been changed, and she gets this information, and all of a sudden it seems like oh. Well, now the operation is completely busted, and I have complaints about this. I'm going to call it my number three worst tradecraft is, uh, and I'm I'm not blaming the movie here. I think I'm blaming her. I, actually, I want to blame the people that uh, put her in the situation of arranging. Well, no, I guess it, it, it lands on her. Um, that she didn't know that this was possible, that the, the guard code phrase could be changed. Now, if she's been surveilling them for five months, five, yeah, five months. There's there's one of two possibilities here. Either the guard code phrase has never been changed in five months, except it was suddenly randomly just changed today, which yeah. is not plausible. Right. Or likely, yeah. Or she fucked up, and the guard code phrase has been changing, like, you know, with some regularity, probably, you know, randomly to, to throw counterintelligence off. Um, and, and that she never picked up on that and never thought it was a possibility. So minus, I'm, I'm going to give, I'll, I'll put it on her. I'll put it directly on her, even though, like, she should have been trained better. I'm going to give her minus 20 spy points for this. I know, man. I totally feel you. However, however, I'm actually gonna put, I'm gonna put this as my number three best spy, Traycraft moments, and give give the team some extra spy points. Cause uh, which, which team? Uh, her team. Okay. The entire team surveilling. Cause uh, even though you're you saw that. They never noticed that the code word could have been changed or has been changed or would have been changed. I'm looking at the fact that they had figured out a code word and were still surveying the situation well enough to know that it had changed and were able to call it in. And I think this is more of a cinematic thing than a, a cinematic just uh, freebie than it is a tradecraft uh, blunder. Because this tells me that not only were they surveying the situation, determined the the, the code word, but during the during the operation, they were able to determine that they've continued surveillance and have determined that the code word had been changed. So I, I think I think I, wanna... I see. I, yeah, I see. I see. I see. I see your point there. But um, yeah, I just I I don't know. Wait, wait, it's... There's, a, there's 
not to take away from your point, because you're right. How would they not be prepared for a situation like this? You know, other than, you know, it might be your first one. But some, some... It, it, it feels like too tiny of a, of a tack in the shoe, like kind of like a little like stumbling block to suddenly like turn this very well five month planned operation into suddenly like possibly garbage. And yeah. in in as I said before, like the the this final mission, it's it's com it's the one part of Point of No Return that's completely different from beginning to end. Uh, is is totally different in Point of No Return than La Femme Nikita, and I think Point of No Return did it a lot better. Uh, the thing that causes the operation to go sour isn't like this tiny little like paper like. I feel like I feel like this operation just tripped over a paperclip. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 how I feel about it. That's why I gave it. That's why I give it my. But uh, I mean, I think there's worse. But uh, that's why I give it my number three best bad tradecraft. But I like uh, you know you can give it uh, best tradecraft for uh, someone's uh, got her back on on double checking her on this shit. Right, 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 right. I mean, you know, that's that's why I was, to me, like, they were actually still paying attention. They were like, it wasn't like they were like, oh, we got the code word. Everything's fine. They try and use the code word and it goes south. They actually were still paying attention. And somebody on the team was watching or was responsible to watch and figured out that the, the, the code had been changed. Uh, but I don't want to take away from your point because to your point, they should have been prepared for the, the, the off chance that it happened to be changed today. Uh, so uh, we we actually don't know if they ever figured out that there was a change in code words on a regular basis or not. We just know that it just happened to happen today, which is probably for cinematic purposes. The same voice on the radio that's informed her that the guard code has been changed. The code phrase has been changed informs her after she says well what are we supposed to do now uh she still wants to continue with the mission and and maybe improvise and figure it out uh she's told no we're sending in a cleaner this is my number one this is my number one bad tradecraft in the film but it's tied with something else that's i, I is related that I'll talk about later. But right now, I just want to say, like, I, I feel like even with the code phrase changed, they could have improvised their way out of this. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, I mean that's been an ongoing theme is how much improvisation they needed. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm with you on that one. They've got, they've got a look. They've got the keys. They've got the lookalike. Right. They've got guns. They know how to use them. Right. Well, except later we're going to find Mr. Lookalike doesn't really, like, have a lot of uh, restraint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's definitely, like, more panicked than uh, even, even now. I mean, he's going to panic more later, but uh, he's already, like, like, more freaked out than I would expect from a professional agent, and maybe that goes back to her, like, not recruiting necessarily the best people, even if she did have a good plan in mind. 
Right. But I think there's a lot of ways that they could have handled this, but it's taken out of her hands. And they, uh, you know, her superiors decide this is the time they need to send in a cleaner. And this is the first time, uh, well, I mean, obviously, like I said before, like, I watched uh, Point of No Return uh, a bunch of times as a kid. And and that was the first time I experienced uh, the this idea of a cleaner. And it was very sinister. By the way, it's uh, Harvey Keitel. Is, is, uh, oh, the cleaner? Yeah. Oh, is that like, man, how many times has he played a cleaner? <laughs> Probably a lot, but yeah. I didn't know who when I when I when I was watching this movie like like again like I said like as a kid like you know it was just one of the VHSs in my collection that oh. I like to watch a lot. I didn't know who Harvey Keitel was. I was kind of surprised to see like that that's who was playing the cleaner, and um, I, well, I definitely Pulp Fiction, right? So yeah, that's probably what got him the job for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Well, possibly, but he's in Reservoir Dogs too. No, I mean Harvey Cartel is in a lot of shit. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I don't think he was a big name, and he was definitely not a big name for a for a kid like me at at that time. Right. Uh, you know, in in the eighties. Uh, or wait, well, this movie comes out in the nineties. Oh man, God. Oh man, I get so mixed up with timelines. I guess, like, I guess Point of No Return probably comes out in... Uh, Mara, when does uh, Point of No Return actually come out? La Femme Nikita was released in 1990. Point of No Return is an English-language remake of the same film released in 1993. So, yeah, anyways, um, it's I, I think it's my number one bad tradecraft of this movie because they didn't need to send in uh, this guy this Victor guy, the cleaner, who's played by Jean Rousseau, uh, he's, can we call him an asshole? Like, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on this guy overall? He's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon. It's not a, uh, an incorrect word to use, but I would pretty much put him down as a liability. I don't even he's, know why he's on this team or why oh, she didn't pick him. The superior, I think the superiors brought him in, right? They're like, we'll bring him in the cleaner. He's Why garbage. Yeah. He's garbage. He's absolutely a loose cannon. Yeah. Whereas, like, the Harvey Keitel cleaner in, in uh, Point of No Return is, like, all business and never makes a mistake or, or never, like, like deviates from, like, like, what the job he's needing to do. Whereas, like, yeah, this, this guy, he shows up and he immediately, okay, yes, he, he cleans their so presumably they've got a problem now where they can't get out from the apartment to the embassy, which is what they want to do, right? Yeah. Without having to go through the bodyguards who, who now have a different code phrase that our heroes don't know. So that's a problem, them getting to the street and getting to the embassy. So instead, like, Central sends in the cleaner to, like, kind of work it back the other way. He, like, uh, kills the, all the bodyguards on his way up to the apartment. Then he throws the bodies into a tub, opens up a case of acid, which, okay. 
It's supposed to be lye, right? Which is a base, not acid. Let's right? uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell me. Go ahead and and tell me five things wrong with the acid. Well, first of all, it's acid, right? Instead so, of a base, you would you would base. use you would use base to dissolve bodies. That's one of them, right? Presume. I mean, I think at this point, movies. Some movies aren't allowed to show super realistic, or maybe maybe the studio didn't want acid, so let's or didn't want the reality of it. So let's pretend it's because you know the people had this idea that acid would do it. So let's make it the acid. He shows it with like five like like Pepsi sized bottles of acid, which are clearly labeled acid. Acid, right? Yeah, that's another thing that's wrong. <laughs> minus minus five. My, no, minus. That's a minus. I think that's a minus fifteen spy points. Yeah. We're, we're, don't yeah. label. Don't label your acid acid. Yeah, all right. Especially if you're a cleaner, and you're gonna get stopped by the police many times over in situations that are kind of questionable. You're gonna be like, "Hey, I got these Pepsi bottles." Oh, what? What? What are they? Oh, you know, they're just Pepsi bottles. Why do they say acid on them? <laughs> also, it's not enough acid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not even it, it's... remotely. That's why I said he had five like Pepsi bottles. So we're talking, they're each like what? A liter? Are there 12 ounce bottles of acid? I think he's got like five or six bottles of acid. You know, and, and, they're, and they're like six. There's, okay, so six. Yeah, six 12 ounce bottles of acid. This is not going to cut it. This is definitely It's not going to cut it. It's not going to clean three bodies at all oh what? even though like he put the driver in the trunk but uh like even the two bodies that he's that he's trying to clean and he says bring the other guy which yeah. again like they weren't supposed to harm yeah we don't actually see them bringing the ambassador guy in but i i think it's uh i think it's implied because well, they're not some... allowed to hurt him because tensions are strained so i guess they can't hurt him Right, but on rewatching the scene, like at some point he says, "Bring the other guy in." Oh, oh, okay. and so, and we don't actually see them do it. Yeah, but I I don't know I don't know if it's two bodies in the tub or three bodies in the tub, but either way he just starts like, okay, look, I've I mean I've heard stories I haven't done a lot of research on it or anything, I definitely don't know how the process of hiding the scene uh, like like uh, uh concealing the evidence of murder by dissolving bodies in a bathtub with acid or base or whatever but it's it's not it's not something you just throw them in the tub and sprinkle start sprinkling fucking acid on them it's an hours long process i think you're supposed to strip off all their clothes not to get too grim on this but i think you're you you strip off all their clothes burn those this is not as much of an easier yeah you chop them up into pieces yeah it's it's something you do over like uh, at least a day, probably like more. You don't just like throw some people in the bathtub and like sprinkle fucking Pepsi on them. Yeah, That's I know, I'm right? Yeah. And, it, and then everything works out for you. You know, it's it's yeah. 
Uh, but this is when we get our second switchblade. I knew it was coming. Yeah. So this is another moment of a type of a reality of a situation. I mean, it's not like a wonderful moment that gets hurt by the reality, but it's a new reality for her where someone on her team is is threatening her life. It's too much. You're out of your mind. This is too much. You know what? Forget this. You go to the embassy. He starts tearing off his costume. And and the guy's like, the, the cleaner's like, get over here and help me. He's like, you know what? Forget this. And the, the, the lookalike pulls out his gun and tries to shoot the cleaner, which the cleaner then shoots him. Um, I don't know why you would shoot the cleaner. The, the cleaner wasn't trying to hurt you. He was trying to clean up your mess. But, I mean, I, like, I guess the best argument would be that, oh, this this lookalike wasn't really anybody. He was just kind of somebody they leaned on and forced into this situation. But that doesn't make sense because he's standing there with, like, a shoulder holster making drinks and stuff. He's obviously an agent that's been trained, and he's selected by Nikita, who's been selected. Like, up people. until now, he seems very professional. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. It's like he knows what he's doing. He's got his whole disguise kit. He's yeah. in place. He's passing her the drink, you know, from the he's hidden spot. Drugs into the drink that he knows he's about to drug another human being. And then all of a sudden, he's like the the looser cannon of the looser cannon. Yeah, the the loose cannon shows up, and he he like doubles he doubles down on being a loose cannon here. Like, it's it's silly. The whole thing is silly. So his his plan to resolve a problem that doesn't exist, because there's a guy here trying to solve their problem for them. You know, again, that's a bad group. Yeah, yeah. But he he pulls out his gun and decides to shoot the cleaner. And I, I that that's my number three worst tradecraft. Definitely, I think I think uh, yeah. But after that happens, we can get back to our switchblade. Sorry. That we had to go off on a tangent there, but uh, <clears throat> Nikita's sitting in the corner crying, you know, freaking out herself. And she has a reason to freak out because her team is falling apart because of this cleaner. And the guy she selected just tried to kill the cleaner and is now dead because the cleaner shot him. So now they don't have a lookalike. The, now the mission is actually fucked. Okay. Yeah. Like Todd was like, why do we even need the cleaner? Well, now that the cleaner's here, now our mission is really fucked because the lookalike... He's making things worse. Yeah, he's making everything worse. <laughs> making everything worse. So, yeah. I, 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 uh, I, they, you want to you, you want to get this switchblade thing out of your system. Let's let's hear it. And then oh, yeah, oh, no, no, no. I don't think there's anything big behind it. It's just, it's just this is the only other time we see a switchblade. And... It's kind of more of a reality check for her, I guess. You know, and this might lead to more of my theory about this being about a coming-of-age thing. But anyway. They pull it together, though. They pull it together. They pull it together. Oh, this is a huge mess. They pull it together, and and clearly, from here on, they improvise. Instead, now that we've lost our lookalike, she takes the place of the lookalike, right? She's actually got the right frame. Uh, and, you know, like the, the lookalike or the ambassador, you know, he wears a fedora and a, and a big coat and glasses. We've always seen him that way. So, you know, it's not that implausible to, like, just put her into the disguise. And then so now her and the cleaner are going to try to finish the job on their own. Yes. They get to the embassy. Minus 
minus five uh, guard points <laughs> for the guards that like saw the ambassador leave with uh, what is two it? Uh, three. Oh, the driver and two guards. Yeah. Right. And come back and with zero. Come back with one. Just wave them through. So you know, yeah. wake up a little, guys. Yeah. Um, we go into the embassy. This is where I wanted to point out the flag. Uh, you remember uh, in The Men Who Knew Too Much, the 1956 version, we have the, that, that one flag that's draped over in the concert hall? Yes. And, uh, it's, it, it's clearly like just no nation's flag. Yes. Come well, in this case, yeah, I googled this one. It's a big yellow flag with a bright red star in the middle of it. It looks very communist-y. It looks very Eastern European-ish without really being like, uh, you know, a flag you could you could identify. But, uh, you know, quick Google, this is the flag of like some tiny little African island. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's mo- not even mo- a tiny African island. It's like off of the coast somewhere amongst other tiny islands. It's, it's not like most- one tiny Mohili, if I'm saying it right. And it's got a population of 35,000. Yeah. And and here we got some big business, big doings going on in in France over this country's ambassador. So clearly the flag is not actually meant to uh, be of uh, the flag of Mohili. It's just supposed to be a flag that just generally gives you like this notion that it's some country and it kind of I don't know red star like gives you some kind of communist vibe on it there's a bust uh sitting prominently in the in the embassy uh lobby that uh you know looks like I mean it's not Stalin but it's kind of like looks Stalin-esque so Nikita makes it into the embassy and makes it into the ambassador's office, I guess, or his quarters or whatever. And she makes it into the safe and she finds the safe and she's using all the multiple keys. We discover that that room is actually under surveillance and we actually get to see shots back and forth between the room and the security room, knowing that it's under surveillance. And this is really important because we're going to get to my number two best trade craft of the whole movie. Um, why it's important that this room is under surveillance for my number two trade craft is because she gets the papers out and comes and sits at the desk. And, she doesn't just steal the papers Yeah, and walk out. She doesn't just take the papers and walk out. She just opens the papers up and wants to go through them like she's reading them because it would look kind of odd if she's walking out with the papers because we presume the ambassador never leaves with the papers, because then why would we need this entire mission? We wouldn't. We would just catch him with the papers, right? Now, he obviously leaves the papers there and and learns whatever he needs to learn and then goes from there. Uh, But they're under surveillance, right? There's a a security camera watching that room. So how are they going to get this information out without memorizing all of it? Well, we get our first spy gadget of the movie, or at least one, like, super crazy spy gadget of the movie. There's a camera in the glasses. 
And I don't know how she clicks it. Maybe it's in her hand somewhere or she blinks or who knows what. But the the camera, uh, the, the glasses just start taking pictures as she's going through the papers. So this is going to be my number two best photograph of the movie is that they knew that the room would be under surveillance. So they had to come up with a way to take pictures because it would look very odd if the ambassador shows up with a microfilm camera taking pictures, you know, obviously like looking like a spy, you know, and, and, and just showing up taking pictures of these documents. So I think that's really cool that they were able to deal with that. It's not it's only not... the first uh, spy gadget that we've seen in this movie. It's the first real spy gadget that we've seen in this podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of bugs. And I know you don't like gadgets, and that's like one of the reasons you were hesitant about uh, even putting James Bond, which we're not doing in our first series, but we will be doing probably leading off in our second series. Uh, Most likely thinking about doing From Russia With Love. Uh, Espionage one of all of them. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our compromise for now, but... As we've been going through these movies, I'm thinking we might need to do a little bit more 007 than I would have hoped. But no. Victor's outside. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, Victor. Victor, by the way, is the cleaner. The cleaner. Uh, the cleaner. Yep. He's he's outside. He's still just waiting in the car outside the embassy. Who's and uh, a professional. A guard looks. Uh, uh, you know, one of the embassy guards is like, you know, why is this car idling here? Um, comes up and approaches him. And here, I think, is my number one best tradecraft of the movie. Because what Victor does is sit there in the car, in the shadows, and the guard's obviously approaching him. So clearly we have a situation and he could be compromised. But what does Victor do? He rolls down the window, he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Pulls out a gun with a silencer and shoots the guard. And the guard falls, but he just doesn't fall anywhere. He falls behind a bush, and the, the 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 shot obviously shows this. It clearly, distinctly shows. Here's a guard falling behind a bush. So I I was I was actually pretty proud of this moment for uh, our cleaner who's been bumbling around like a, a a maniac this whole time. It's the one thing he does perfectly, in and my calmly, opinion. Yeah, and I, I also I also love this too. He doesn't react. He roll like he he rolls the window down, takes his shot, rolls the window back up, done and done. And just take the shot. He waits till the guard walks to a place by the bush that's going to have perfectly. Him it's perfectly executed. Yeah. This is the guy. This is the cleaner that we wanted to see. Yeah, that this... wouldn't ruin the mission. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and you know like in the moment like like he's he's got he's got decisions to make right yeah do I let the guard come up to me and engage in conversation do I do I shoot him as soon as he starts walking toward me no he takes the perfect moment just rolls down the window shoots rolls back up the window and and he's done and this also like gives us a, a sense of very sinister calm about uh, that, like, you know, he's done this a million times before. This is the moment, this is the only moment in my opinion, where the the cleaner actually feels like 
what he was meant to feel like. Yeah. Like cool, calm, collected. Yeah, you know, I wanted to right. Yeah, not not just pouring Pepsi bottles of acid over people for no fucking reasons. It's shooting like a madman, you know, and just rolling up. Yeah, no. Back upstairs, she's still taking pictures. Our 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 heroine, she's right. still taking pictures with her little spy gadget in her camera. There's a dog who can apparently open doors. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Dog comes in. Dog just seems like happy, like, ha, ha, ha. ha you know, hey, what's up with you? I don't know if he's happy. He's kind of growling a little bit. He's half No, at first he's just pant. He's just, like, got that happy dog face. He's got oh, that super yeah. dog happy face, like, uh-huh. mouth, like, wide open, tongue hanging out, just, like, panting, like, hi. Um, it's just another person in the office. It's not like the, the dog has never smelled other people being in this office. I think, oh, it's, the, I think it's the fear. Oh, well, he can smell the fear in her. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that the dog is capable of... The, the dog doesn't know that she's not who she pretends to be right. by sight. Right. I don't think the dog is capable of recognizing that this person is not supposed to be in this office at this hour. Right. I think that she knows that she's not supposed to be here and the dog can smell that. I'm giving this dog plus five five points right now. Oh yeah. (laughs) For, for, for smelling sensitivity because he does trigger but she's the one that panics, and that's she, what sets him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus five, five points for the dog. I th- yeah. No, I think that's warranted. Um, now we go back to Victor, the cleaner. Right. John Rousseau. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, she, she gets away from the dog, right? She does. Yeah. Uh, she gets the inform. She's, I, I believe she's got the information. Uh, she's she's makes it to the front door where Victor is waiting. They at this point you would think that they are gonna just like hop in the car and get away. She comes out and she's like, "We have to go, we have to go." And now Victor the cleaner shows up and he's like, "No, I don't stop the mission. I keep with the mission. I'm gonna clean this whole place up." Like, and this is probably the most uh, like. Like, uh, what, what are those, like, uh, on-the-nose lines? Or, like, what are those uh, cheeky, uh, cheeseball, like, 80s action lines? This I never, I, I, like, I never walk away from a job until it's done. Something like that. Yeah, yeah it's like, here's, here's our big action line. He wants, he wants to go back into the embassy. And, and slaughter everyone. Uh, presumably, I don't know what his <laughs> thinking is here. It just it just it makes no sense. They've got what they came for. Yeah. Well, they got at least enough of what they came for. I don't think she got all of the pictures. Oh, possibly. Yeah, and and so the idea she came out abruptly because he was like, uh, "It's too fast" or something, and uh, she's freaking out. He's like, "No, I don't. I don't leave without finishing the job." So 
his idea, I guess, is to go like ballistic on everybody in there, get the information and get out. If there was like if tripping over the paperclip of the guard phrase was enough to like trigger a, an abort, you know, earlier in the mission, this is like full on get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you're done. It's over. You're done. You're done. You've yeah. been you've been made. Yeah. Uh, there's no amount of acid. Like, you know, we're talking about like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not gonna, you're it's not gonna, over with. yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Not enough acid. Yeah. He did. He definitely doesn't have eight bottles of acid now. You know what I mean? Like, like to clean up the 50 people at the embassy. Yeah. There's no, there's no way. There's no freaking way. It, it's, it's a huge embassy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that's why this is my my tide. I I couldn't make up my decision, but this is my number one bad trade craft. Remember I mentioned before, I feel like my number one worst trade craft was sending Victor in in the first place. Oh, that's right. You were saying you were gonna bring this up. But it's also like I feel like I have to tie it with, like, Victor's incredibly bad decisions that, that especially that he makes at this point. Like, other stuff that he did, I could kind of forgive, but I just, like, on my number one trade, worst tradecraft of this movie, I just, in the final analysis, I can't decide whether I should blame Victor for being bad at his job or blaming the center for sending Victor in in the first place because presumably they know what he does and what his modus operandi yeah. are you know uh, yeah like they didn't just say like we're going to we're going to send in a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right. We're going to send in a guy with not enough acid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, and it's just going to, like, leave a bloody trail of everything. And, like, when the, when the, when the moment that you should abort the mission is going to, like, just double down and say, like, fuck this. I'm going to go into this embassy and fucking kill everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mission's been I compromised. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Absolutely, it's compromised. And absolutely, like they got. I mean, they got something. They yeah. just. They just walk away. Walk away. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Not to put too much time in on it. My number one worst tradecraft in this movie is tied between Victor's decisions or his superiors of just making that initial decision to send him in in the first place. I mean, I think he does, a, he could be a good uh, asset to put into play in certain situations. This is not one of them. No. no, no so no. that's the argument. So that's the argument for blaming his superiors yeah. and blaming them for taking control of the operation away from her, which a, and like she could have planned better, maybe she could have prepared better, etc. But like, I think it was a really bad decision. Well, maybe Mr. Perry just shouldn't have given her this first mission by herself with no help. Who's never done any field work training operatives, as far as we've seen. 
I, I think it was a bad idea. All right, Dave, I think I'm ready to come in from the cold. How about you? I'm definitely ready to come in from the cold. Let's get right. going. Yeah, let's go. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. So overall, my feeling about this movie, uh, you know, I've seen it probably, this is my first time seeing this movie for probably, I don't know, God, I don't know, like 20 years. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I remember, like, loving this movie. Uh, and, of course, like I said, in that scene with the with the og and at, at the hotel, I, lo- I love that moment. But I have this theory that uh, about Leon the Professional that uh, Leon the Professional is actually a prequel to this movie. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I think that is this whole shot where the, the training guy was supposed to, like, teach her how to use a firearm. And she just, he's, like, giving her instructions. She just picks it up and shoots at the target and, like, blows out, like, all the best parts of the target. And the training guy's like, have, have you done this before? She was like, not on paper. Or have you been taught this before? She's like, not on paper. And that's the first moment that really sparked this to me. Like, and and I don't know what it was, but it was that moment. And and even though I haven't seen Leon the Professional for a while, it's been a long while since I've seen it. Um, I think I think about it, it's been about seven years since I've seen Leon the Professional. Uh, but I remember when I had seen it, I was wondering, well, how come we never got a sequel to this? There's even been interviews with like Natalie Portman about how uh, she would be willing to do it, but only if Luke Bazan would have would have been willing to do it, and he refuses to do it. And uh, I wanted to see her, like, you know, do better in life, uh, but it, like, it, it kind of didn't. Some some was off, you know. All the other fans wanted like Matilda's revenge, you know, Matilda the professional. Oh right, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you know, from that type of an audience, I guess. But um, but I'm like watching this movie, and that moment, like, really, sp- I was like, well, wait, how how did she? How do you get this junkie, uh, who who kills a cop, like point blank range, um who's like a master marksman all of a sudden. I get it. I get it. So, so what's the theory of the case though? Like what's the, what's the narrative? Like, um, so, so what, so here we go with, you know, looking at Leon, the professional, that entire movie is about a girl whose entire family was just like slaughtered. And now she's, you know, and her father figure wasn't an amazing father figure to begin with. And he's involved in all kinds of weird stuff. And now her next father figure that kind of takes over is like a real life hitman, you know, and, and that real life hitman dies protecting her, you know, from these guys. He basically takes over like kind of a caretaker for her. And because it's involved with organized crime, he has to basically protect her life and goes like ballistic on all these guys. So not only does she have her entire family slaughtered, she now has her surrogate father slaughtered and, and, you know, the movie, I think, ended with her going to a school and planting that plant she was carrying around while she was with Leon. And then it just ends. And 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 we don't really get much after that. And that's why 
I think that's why Luc Besson never wanted to make a sequel. I thought originally when I read up on this, it was for like artistic reasons. No, I've made all my points in this movie. No, no, no. It's not because of artistic reasons. It's because he already made the sequel. He made the sequel like years before that. And and that sequel was La Femme Nikita. And and I, I, I think I think that's what's going on here. Seeing it again older and watching like tons of other spy and assassin movies, you know, I think it still holds up. I think it's very well done, you know. Uh, as a movie, despite all of our uh, just tearing apart all the tradecraft in it, you know, but I, I, I think I'm going to give it a three and a half. You know, I, I think it still really holds up. I, I think it still really holds up, but I think a lot of the tradecraft is a little unbelievable. And the typical uh, late 80s, early 90s, like shoot them up like scenes and just like things going ridiculous kind of like throw me out of the story. But for the most part, I think it still holds up cinematically, especially with the story with the boyfriend. So, uh, and, and with Bob, the sexual tension with Bob and uh, her kind of coming of age and, you know, deciding for her own to lead her life. Um, and, and, you know, I guess grow up in adulthood, I guess is, is, is what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna go with a three and a half. What are, you, what are your thoughts? The movie, the um, James Cameron movie, True Lies, was based on a French film. Uh-huh. And uh, while listening to, like, I, it, it, a bug in my ear came up that, like, French films are almost always about two things. Um, culture clash and a uh i'm not who you think you are like there's like 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 really like identity issues um seem to like uh be a big part of french film and well that was got, yeah yeah this this has got that one like like in aces you know like true lies is a, a is a, it's a story about like a a secret agent or like especially like True Lies itself, but also like the French film that it was based on. It's basically like a secret agent that's lying to his wife about not being a secret agent, and then she has an affair with a guy that's not a secret agent that's pretending to be a secret agent. <laughs> and and those those like themes of like identity and and what we tell each other like the people we care about uh like like run deep through la femme nikita but la femme nikita like it's uh it's also like it's not so much about that story as it is so much about like the spectacle i i did want to nail that one down um i'm sorry i i know i'm rambling la femme nikita it's a good movie it's it's a good movie, and it's also like kind of I think an, an important movie. I think this is a movie that really like uh, breaks open the doors of like this idea of you know we've already talked about like the everyman that's drawn into the uh, shadowy world of espionage, but this this notion of the neophyte that is not only drawn in but trained. You know, I, I I think this is a this is a really important movie. 
I, I don't think, I know there's not exactly direct parallels, you know, between this and the born identity, but I, I, I think there's something there with that, you know, and I think there's something there with like Kingsman. Um, oh, definitely in Kingsman. Cause you have a neophyte in that that gets trained. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the typical the typical spy story, or I guess spy, I guess, uh, theory, or I guess lore is, you know, you get the Yale graduate like we saw in The Company, where that's the typical recruit. You, you, get, you get the Yale college kid who's looking to be, like, uh, big in society, and they get recruited into this, like, dark, shadowy world, versus, like, I, this, you're taking someone off the streets and putting them into, like, a very... Uh, I guess, uh, sensitive situations. I think it's one of the first movies where we get a real female badass. And I've, I've seen, like, you know, doing the research on this, like, like people keep coming back to Nikita as being, like, not, not necessarily the first, but one of the really, like, lasting impressions burned into our impressions of this female badass, but in this movie, like she had to be put into that place, like uh, against her will. But um, you know, that's a compelling story, the way it's told. It's an okay movie with huge impact. That's that's what I think. Um, oh. On its on its own, I uh, you know just dipping really quick into point of no return. I think Point of No Return overall is actually a better movie because it, it polishes off some of the rough edges. Um, it doesn't have, like, maybe quite as great a performance. Like, Bridget Fonda is great in Point of No Return, but um, that French girl, like, like, especially in that scene where she's, like, where the hairdresser is telling her to smile... Yeah, and she's trying so hard to smile, like uh-huh. that's just like just so delicious. That's really great acting. Um, uh, I'm a three. I'm a three, but like on cultural impact, I think it really. I, I, I'm just gonna land on three. I want to talk a little, like a tiny bit though, like on cultural impact. I think the cultural impact is fucking huge yeah. on this movie, even though it's not necessarily noticed at the time. I think it leads to a lot of other greater things. And notice that this one movie, that uh, you know, is is a fairly low budget French film at the time. Like if we didn't have the grander perspective of what has come out in the 30 years since this movie was was made, right? 30 years, right? 1990? Yeah, yeah. If we didn't have that, we could look at it and, and say, this is just like, uh, just kind of a garbage little movie. But the fact is, like, they immediately made uh, an American remake of it. They immediately, like, made a Chinese remake of it. It spawned two television series, one of which I heard is actually pretty good. The other one I heard is actually not that good. And it's probably, and it's probably like the Nikita character 
is probably something that is going to continue forward with us in the zeitgeist of these characters of uh, an innocent being turned into a weapon. Yeah. In, in, into the future. And we're going to see more, like, if we come back 50 years, uh, if, we, if we traveled into the future 50 years from now, I think that we would still be seeing, like, tons and tons of movie and content that all started with this one. And so I want to give, like, Luke Besson and the scriptwriter and everything, like, a huge thumbs up. But overall, it's just, I mean, it's just a tiny little movie. I'll give it three stars. But cultural impact, I would give it a five. Yeah. That's where I'm at. That makes sense. So uh, we, we, we ran through our uh, tradecrafts through the thing. Uh, let's see. My uh, best were uh, I liked the hospital cover. I liked Bob's improvisation in uh, protecting his asset by making up a story in the moment. And uh, I 100% loved the tradecraft of hacking the room service to get the bugs into the place. What were your bests again, real quick? Uh, I think my number three was watching the guards code. Even though they already had the code, they kept surveillance up and were able to determine that it had been changed, even though it was still pretty messy. I think it was good that they kept watching. Uh, and then my number two were the glasses, you know, being our first uh, little gadget. Uh, but it wasn't the gadget so much as it was playing against the surveillance camera. Um, and then, uh, oh, it was, it was uh, Victor the Cleaner's shot from the car where he waited till the guy was by a bush and would fall behind a bush after being shot. I think those are pretty solid. What about All right. our, uh, re- re- recap? Recap uh, your worst. worst. My worst? Uh, my worst was, uh, oh yeah, shooting at the cleaner. I, I, don't, I still don't know why they would do that. Uh, and then, oh yeah, the, the original training scene where Nikita was put in a situation, she had just gotten out of training. That, that was a pretty big risk. Yeah, one, I thought yeah. about that one too. Yeah, huge, huge risk. And uh, number one was pulling the gun out on the art dealer when she was an art dealer against uh, the the ambassador guy, no point. There was no point in that. Zero. Just let him let him drink the drink. He was gonna drink it anyways. There's yeah. no way to put a gun into his face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. My worst were uh, like the whole like uh, in the last operation, not knowing that there was a possibility that the guard code might be changed. Uh, my number two worst tradecraft was the Venice job, just like the timing on it. It's a very fun scene. It's a very iconic scene. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderfully tense scene. It's greatly directed, but if you really think about it, it doesn't work. And, uh, my number one is like, again, I had to call it in a tie. 
I can't decide whether or not, like, who to blame here. I, I either blame Victor for m- making bad decisions once he's in play, or I want to blame the superiors that decided that it was a good idea idea to put him into play. Given all that, what's our redaction rating? Oh, I, I, uh... Remember, one, one means a very realistic spy movie, and five is pure fantasy. What do you think? Uh, this is this is tough because there's some like good tradecraft here, and there's probably some realistic points behind it. But this isn't based on any s- real story. At least we don't know. Uh, I I don't know. I think I think I'm, I think I'm gonna go with like maybe a three and a half or a four. Probably a four. Four a four um, sounds good. Yeah, a four sounds a solid four sounds good. I'm good with a solid four. Like, like, there's some realistic-ish kind of stuff going on, but like, you know, like number one, like the whole idea of like pulling a junkie out of nowhere and faking your yeah. death and training her into like, like that's a that's a that's a big no. Like, let's not do that. Yeah, yeah, that's, a <laughs> that's movie stretch. stuff. That's not real spy stuff. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty big stretch. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's all that four is 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 warranted on this one. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what'll really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.